All right, good morning. Can we get the lights on? That'd be great. How's everyone doing? Good. Long time no see. Saw you about 12 hours ago. But you guys were a bunch of nerds back then. Now you guys have huge transformation, huge glow up. It's amazing. Shut up. All right, turn to Luke chapter 8. And as you turn there, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We will get you one. Luke chapter 8. And again, as you turn there, I got a few announcements. Uh, next Sunday is the third Sunday of the month, which typically we would meet for discipleship, but we are not. So do not stay after service for that reason. Um, we will not have it. So the next time we will have discipleship will be the first Sunday in January. Uh, we are Wednesday night, the Wednesday before Christmas. I believe it's the 22nd. Uh, every Wednesday we meet, we go through the book of Joshua, which actually we've got one chapter left. This Wednesday will be our last, last uh, week in Joshua. Um, but the Wednesday before Christmas, we are going to have a fun evening. So if you guys want to come join us, we'll spend a few moments in the Word, and then we're going to have some fun. And we're encouraging you, if you come, to bring some goodies so that we can have a good night. And uh, then it'll be Christmas on Saturday of that week, and then we'll come back for church Sunday. Yes, Ezra? You forgot already? All right, come back to me after. Bro, I don't even know what I'm doing tomorrow. All right, so, I don't know, we'll figure it out. If you got suggestions, throw them my way. So that's the 22nd of December, that's Wednesday. And then starting January 1st, which I believe is a Saturday, we are starting our one-year Bible reading plan. So it's going to take us exactly one year to get through Genesis to Revelation. And I'm really excited because it's going to keep us accountable to read together, um, but also to, to see what God's going to do as we read his word um, and the importance of his word as we've been studying for the past, I don't know, goodness, chapter 7 and chapter 8 of Luke have been really key, and even as we're going to study today, um, of showing us how important the Word of God is. And so, you know, if you're the type of person that comes to church and doesn't read the Word, it's, you're, you're running in a hamster wheel. It's going to be rough, okay? You're not going to get anywhere. You're not going to grow. You're going to be like, what's the point of this Christianity thing? Well, you're doing it wrong, <laughs> Church isn't how you grow, uh, it is a part of the, the, the process, but it is salvation through faith that we receive the grace of God, and after that we study the word, we know it, and then we obey it, and that's, and obeying the word of God is the part where we come to church, right? But again, we can't skip the step of where we read the word of God and we obey it. Um, so, again, you might be the type of person that's just like, I, you don't feel the presence of God, you don't grow, you keep doing the same old thing, you sin, you repent, you sin, you repent, you sin, you repent, and you're like, I'm just not growing. Well, I think part of the process is probably you not being in the word and obeying it. It's as simple as that. So, you guys ready? Luke chapter 8, we're only doing four verses today. Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. Another awesome, interesting story that we see multiple times in the Gospels. So let's go ahead and read, and then we will jump in. Verse 22, it says, Now it happened on a certain day that he, speaking of Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side of the lake. 
and they launched out. But as they sailed, he fell asleep, and a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were willing, or they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. But he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. And so if you guys have been with us for any amount of time, especially in the past few weeks, we have seen that Luke, who is the author of this book, has been giving us basically firsthand accounts. And if they're not firsthand, he has done his work of interviewing eyewitnesses to what had happened in these times with Jesus. And so through the Gospel of Luke, we're seeing that Jesus is being presented as the Messiah. He's being presented as the Savior. He's the promised one to come that they knew about in the, in the Old Testament. Luke points out even the very beginning of the chapter or the book uh, of his messianic genealogy. Uh, it shows his unique virgin birth through his mother Mary. Uh, we see Jesus overcome the temptation of Satan, specifically where Satan is tempting the Son of God. Uh, we see Jesus throughout the entirety of the book so far, healing diseases, sicknesses, all different types, right? Uh, and even in chapter 7, from a few weeks ago, we saw that Jesus uh, had power not only over sicknesses and diseases, but even death itself when he raised the widow's son back to life. You guys remember that in chapter 7? And now it's not that we're getting a step further, but we're adding one another element to it, where Jesus is going to show his power and his authority not only over sickness and diseases and not only death, but now we're going to see over nature, right? We're going to see this over the winds and the waves and, and the storm that comes here in this section. And, you know, as I was reading this, it was somewhat timely because I, how many of you guys saw what happened, I think it was like two days ago in the Midwest with, with the... With the um, tornadoes that hit. It was like, I think, six different states, at least hundreds of people that have passed away and a lot of devastation, you know, and, and life is full of like just these natural phenomena, these, these things that just happen that sometimes are, are crazy, you know, earthquakes, tornadoes, a um, bunch of devastating storms, uh, winds, floods, tidal waves, you know, there's so many. And uh, it's interesting, we always call it an act of God, right? Like, man, this, this act of God. But, and, and we always give God the credit, I guess, to these bad things that happen. But we never give him credit to the things when it's peaceful. And it's, I mean, you look outside and it's gorgeous. I mean, that's an act of God, right? And so as I was reading this, you know, here's this storm. And Jesus has the power to stop a storm, right? Because he has the power and he has the authority. He says, stop and it stops. That just blew my mind. Like, here's these crazy waves. I don't know if you guys have been in, you know, on a boat. It's just the safety team, I hope. It, uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've been in some rough waters, crazy waves. Um, I remember when I was a kid, I lived in San Diego, and I used to, I never surfed, but I boogie boarded. And I remember boogie boarding on like 15-foot waves, right? And just the massive power that something just like that has, 
you know, I've gone deep sea fishing. It wasn't crazy rough waters, but I, I can see from the experiences that I've had. And, and one thing you got to understand is we're going to read through this. These guys who get afraid as they're in the midst of this storm, they're professional fishermen, right? This isn't like me going out there and not really knowing what's happening or having any type of experience and being in situations like this. I would be the one that would be scared and crying, right? But here we see these professional fishermen who are also doing the same thing. So we're not talking about some light storm in some simple rough waves. This was something that was fearful to them. But to get back to my point, as I was reading this, I was thinking, okay, life is full of these things that are devastating. If God has the power to stop them, why do they still happen, right? Why, why did the destruction that just happened two days ago in the Midwest with the tornadoes, why didn't, why didn't God just stop it? Why did God do that? I don't know if anyone else has ever had that question. Uh, I'm sure as we were going to study this that you would probably have that question. If God has the power over nature, why doesn't he stop it when it brings destruction? And that's a good question I had. That's a good question you had. And I think there's a long answer to it. I think there's a simple answer to it. I'm going to kind of try and give you guys the in-between to it. But it's kind of in the same sense that why God allows people to commit evil acts to begin with. Um, and the same reason that God allows the earth uh, and the things in it to, to have bad things happen. I think it, it's a reflection of the consequences that we have as creation. And if you remember in the very beginning, when, when God created in six days all of creation, and then after that point, man sinned, it, wasn't, it didn't just have an effect on, on man, although to men it had the greatest extent of it because we're the ones who did it, but it also had an effect on the things of earth and creation as well. It had an effect on animals, right? Because who, what was the first thing to die after sin? An animal. I don't know if you guys remember this. An animal. That God killed an animal so that he could get the coat of the animal to cover up Adam and Eve's nakedness, right? It was the first sacrifice, and it was a picture of the sacrifice that Jesus would make for us where he would be the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God who would be slain so that we could then no longer have shame in our nakedness and in our sin, right? That he would cover us, that he would make us anew. So we see that animals were affected by sin, but we also see that nature is affected by sin. How do I know this? Well, we see that, that nature, we just see it from experience. We see it in everything, right? We see death, we see decay, we see uh, bad things happen. But even the word of God tells us in Romans 8, you guys can write this down. You don't have to turn there if you don't want. Romans 8, verses 19 through 21, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed, revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, like it didn't want to, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Somebody had a great question for one of our Defend Your Faith apologetic nights, which we covered last month, or this month? What month are we in? December, last month. And it was, why, why, do, why does bad things happen to animals? I think that was the question. Was that the question? Why does bad things happen to animals? You know, and, and that kind of, it literally goes along with, you know, why does bad things happen to good people? You know, with animals, we're more like, they're kind of cute, so why would bad things happen to them? And we use this verse to, to cover that. 
Because animals, all of creation, the things that God created are subjected to the decay and to the corruption of sin. Animals included. Nature included. And so that is why we get, you know, these devastating storms because of sin. It all stems back to sin. But there will be a time where, it, where not only we, but creation itself will be delivered from the bondage of corruption. This is what Paul says. Romans 8, 21. It'll be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And so what we're going to see at some point that I think it's in the millennial reign, we're going to see this. We're going to experience it. Revelation talks about how uh, the lion and the, what was it again? I can't remember. The lamb, right? They will lie together. Uh, the children and the, um, the cobra, the viper, what some snake, I can't remember which one it was. Like they'll play together. Right? Like right now, if I saw my kids outside in our backyard playing with a snake, I'd freak out. Right? Because I wouldn't know if it was a simple like gardener snake or if it was, you know, a copperhead. You know, if it was a copperhead, I'd freak out because if it bit them, they would more than likely die, you know? Uh, but there will be a time where, where all that will be gone. The corruption, the decay, the things of, of sin will no longer be there. We won't have to be worried about those things. I believe we won't have these types of, of storms. But it happens now. And the fall of humanity into sin had effects on everything, including the world that we inhabit. And everything in creation is subject to frustration, decay, corruption. And again, sin is the ultimate cause of natural disasters, just as it's the cause of death, disease, suffering. And I think this, I think if we don't fully understand why God would allow these things, we have to remember who God is. So maybe there's not a good, perfect answer that would appease you. But we have to remember who God is. And God is fair, he is just, he is kind. And he has told us in Romans 8.28 this, and we can always take this to heart with questions like these. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. That even in the midst of devastation, there's always good that comes from it. Always. And you gotta think, God doesn't have to allow that to happen, but but it does. The good that comes from it. You know, I think of, um, you know, like 9-11. None of you were alive. I was alive. And I didn't understand the impact of it when, I, when it happened. But I do remember how, like, just people rallied together, right? Like, there was a unity. You know, and this, this happens within the church, that when devastation happens with natural disasters, you know, the Baptist church is really good at this, right? They, they are really good at you know, when tornadoes, hurricanes, these things happen, that they rally together, they go and they, they make sure that people are good, that they have what they need, that they have homes, that they, you know, repair, that they do whatever they need to do. In the same instance, we're showing love, we're, you know, sharing the word with them, we're doing what's needed to be able to overcome these types of things. And there's good that comes from it. The person that, that you know, was just living their life apart from God, and then this devastation hits, it's like, okay, you're waking me up. Now, I, I know like I was on the brink of death. I just lost everything. I either, I, I, I'm going to turn to God now because that's the only way I can turn, right? But if, if, if everything's good and everything's content and nothing wrong ever happens, we are more than likely never going to approach God or think that we need him. Why do we need God when everything is good? We still do, but our minds think that we don't. And so I believe that God one, these things happen because it's natural to, to the sin nature and what happened in creation.
but two, God used these things for good. And we are going to see that he does have the power over nature. Verse 22, let's begin. It says, Now it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. What lake is this? Well, this lake is called a sea, and it's called the Sea of Galilee. And it's the lowest freshwater lake in the world. The sea is 682 feet below sea level. And it's situated in a bowl-shaped valley. And it's perfectly situated to experience strong winds because of the way that it's, 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 it is. From the, we- <laughs> from the west come uh, ocean winds over the hills of Galilee. From the north comes the cold winds of the Lebanese mountains. And from the east comes the desert winds. So all that together can cause some pretty rough sea. And I believe Jesus uses this purposefully to test, his, not test, test, and to uh, strengthen his disciples and to challenge them. And so he's going to demonstrate his power over the wind and the waves in this story. Verse 23, as they sailed, he fell asleep, and a windstorm came down in the lake, and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. And I love just the simplicity of that Jesus just fell asleep, right? Like, have you guys, how many of you guys have ever been on a boat or like um, a yacht or a cruise? Okay, cool. So I've been on a cruise, and some people can feel it, like if you're really sensitive. Some people can't, but it's like really nice just to have that rocking motion to fall asleep. Um, so I imagine Jesus, you know, he needed to sleep, just like any of us, right? Why would he need to sleep? Well, why, why I mean, yes, but why does he need to sleep? Why do you sleep? Because you're tired? Well, yeah, I guess in that sense, in the energy. But, but it, it stems from being tired, right? Jesus was tired. And that made me think, well, does God ever get tired? No. But isn't Jesus God? He's also human. Why would God need to sleep? Does he even get tired? Well, no, God, God doesn't need to sleep, right? God doesn't, God doesn't get tired. And you're thinking, well, God created the creation in six days, and on the seventh day he rested, right? That's just, he's just, he, God didn't get tired, and he's like, oh, that was a lot of work. I just created Adam and Eve and all these animals and this earth, and man, that just wiped me out, right? God is not prone to that like we are. God is God. We got to understand that. So why did he rest? Well, it's a whole long thing that we can get into, but it's a picture of us finding rest in him, teaching us to rest, teaching us to partake in the Sabbath, teaching us that we no longer, as we see in, I think it's in Hebrews, where we don't have to work for salvation. We can simply find rest in God because he's done all the work for us. It's a whole long picture. So God doesn't get tired, but Jesus gets tired, and Jesus is God. So as we're going to see, Jesus is going to show us here, he's going to reveal to us his humanity, because as humans, we get tired, we get hungry, right? That's part of our nature. That was part of Jesus' nature because he was human. And later on, we're going to see the other part of Jesus, where he's also deity, where he's also God. So we see here that Jesus is truly God, and he's truly man, which is amazing. So he has to sleep. He falls asleep. And it says a windstorm came down on the lake. And the Sea of Galilee was known for these sudden, violent storms. 
And again, the severity of the storm is shown in their response to it, the disciples' response to it. Because remember, many of these, these men were professional fishermen, and so they were terrified. They were afraid. And the boat was starting to fill up with water. And they say in verse 24, They came to Jesus and they awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. You think Jesus was upset because they woke him up in deep sleep? I would be, right? But it says in Mark, and Mark also records the same, the same uh, story. In Mark chapter 4, verse 38, it says, And he was in the stern asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? You know, like, how, how many of you guys, <laughs> you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you guys, like, when something happens, you're just the one that totally flips out? You're like, you got a worst-case scenario, I can't handle this. You know, I've, I think this is, like, how they're, they're handling this. They're just completely freaking out. We're dying. Jesus, don't you care about us? Jesus is over here taking a, a nap. So they go to wake him up. It says, then he, he arose, Jesus, and he rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. So Jesus' reaction, it's amazing. First, the first thing he does, he's going to do two things. The first thing he does, he rebukes the wind. <laughs> I can't even tell my own kids what to do and have them listen to me, let alone go outside and tell the wind to stop being wind, right? He rebuked the wind. It shows his, his miraculous and amazing power that he has. And Mark records the actual words that Jesus spoke as he rebuked the wind and the waves. He says in verse 39 of chapter 4, Then he arose and rebuked the wind, and he said to the, said to the sea, Peace, be still. It literally means to be muzzled, emphasizing the idea that Jesus is silencing the wind. In the wind and the sea, they recognize the voice of the creator. And what do they do? They respond and obey. And that's amazing. And so he said to them in verse 25, Where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. So the second thing that we see Jesus do in response, the first one is that he, he rebukes the wind and the waves, and immediately there was a calmness immediately. There was no ripple effect from the waves that when he said stop, it took for a minute to die down, it immediately became calm. And the second thing we see is that he challenges the disciples. And he says to them, where is your faith? You only say that if they didn't have faith in this situation. And that's what's happening. They didn't have faith in him. And this was a critical challenge and one that's a validity to our own lives. Where is our faith? And again, the response of the disciples, it indicates that they still didn't understand that Jesus was Messiah, that Jesus had the power, that Jesus was capable and able, and that there was no power, no natural or otherwise thing that could hinder the proclamation of God's word through Jesus Christ and the work that Jesus was supposed to do upon the cross. So they lacked in faith because they lacked an understanding. They didn't fully understand who Jesus was because they're going to say, who is this that can do this? They still didn't fully understand who Jesus was and they still didn't fully understand what he was there to do. Think about this. If Jesus is on the boat, that's the safest place to be. 
right? Like, like Jesus could not die apart from the Father's will. And it was Jesus' choice to lay his life down. Nobody could do that. Jesus has the power. And so in the midst of this crazy storm, they shouldn't have been freaking out. They should have known if Jesus is on board with us, and the very first thing he said, what was the first thing he said in the entire section that we just read? Nope, he said something before that. Nope. Let us cross over to the other side of the lake. That was his mission. Let's get to the other side of the lake. If that's what he said that they were going to do, that's what was going to happen. If aliens came to attack them, they still would have made it to the other side of the lake. If anything were to happen, if pirates came by and tried to overtake them, they still would have made it to the other side of the lake because God's word doesn't return void. His yes is yes, and everything he says comes to pass. And so, one, they didn't fully understand who he was, and they fully didn't trust in his word. That's one of the things that we will see this morning is they fully didn't trust in his word. If he said that they were going to go to the other side of the lake, they would get there. No matter what. And this is piggybacking off of everything that we've been studying for the past few weeks where we see in, in chapter, or same chapter, but in verse 11, it says, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. We talked about how in the parable of the sower, that the key to it all was understanding that the seed was the word of God, right? Then we got into verse 18, and Jesus says, Therefore, take heed how you hear. Hear what? Your parents? No, the word of God. How are we, are we listening to it? And then he goes on to say in verse 21, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So there's this consistency of the word of God, hearing it, knowing it, and trusting it by obeying it. And then we're, we're seeing this again with this section right here where Jesus says that we're going to go to the other side of the lake. They should have just trusted in his word. They should have trusted in who he was, his character, everything that he's proven himself to be, the faithfulness of Jesus, and yet they didn't fully trust him and put their faith in him because they fully didn't understand him. So how do we grow in our trust and faith of God? It's by us coming to understand more and more of who he is. And how do we understand more and more of who he is? It's by reading the word of God. And that's why we see this consistency and this importance of God telling us to read the word of God, to take heed to how you hear it, to listen, to obey. There's an importance because, listen, you will go through situations like this. No matter the family you were born into, the place that you were born the amount of resources and money that you have, no matter if you are born again or not, you will go through these storms in life. You will go through trials. You go through temptations. We are warned of this as Christians by James that we're to count these things as joy because it grows our faith. It exposes our faith or it exposes our lack of faith, right? We're going to go through this situation and we're either going to trust in God and his word and know that he's on the boat with us and we're good, it still might be scary because there's still going to be winds and waves and all these things that will be around us, but to know that God and his presence is with us, that the Holy Spirit is with us, is a comforting thing. And if we have this struggle of, you know, when things hit us, right, you're, you're going through something at home, maybe, maybe your parents aren't on good terms, maybe they're, they're talking about splitting up, maybe uh, you have issues at school, you have issues with your, your schoolwork, you have depression, you have these things 
You have these things that, that just are bombarding you. The thing that we have to do is to trust in God and that he can overcome these things with us. And you may be struggling in that trust and in that faith, but do you know who Jesus is? Do you know what his word is? Do you know the promises that he's given us? Do you know that he has told us he will never leave us nor forsake us? Maybe you've just been recently diagnosed with, with something, right? And that, that can always be completely devastating and scary. You can either be overtaken by the fears and your lack of faith, or you can, you can ride through the storm with Jesus and overcome it. If you guys remember Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, what does he say? Oh, fear, fear no evil, evil because you are with me. That, that we, we have these mountaintop experiences when everything's good and we're not going through these storms. You know, day in and day out, it's, it's, it's good, man. I'm living the life. I'm just playing video games, going to school. Nothing wrong's happening. This cute girl likes me. It's good. My life's good, right? But then there's other days where, where it's rough and, and things happen, you know. Your mom gets sick and this, whatever happens. What do we do? Do we trust in video games at that point? Or do we, do we, do we trust in God? Do we trust in, 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 in the one that has the power and the ability over the things in this life? Right? The sicknesses, the, the diseases, the hurts, the pains. And these things are good, as James tells us, because it grows our faith. Remember, these things will expose our faith. Is it little? Is it tiny? Is Jesus going to say, where is your faith? Right? Or is he going to be proud and knowing that we trusted him in the midst of these storms? This continues on in verse 25. And he says, it says, they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another. I mean, think about that. Jesus spoke to the wind and it was completely calm. Don't you think they should have been at peace? Why are they still afraid? Right, because Jesus just got up, spoke and to the wind, and it stopped. And they were afraid. They marveled. The total calm of the sea should have filled them with peace, but instead they were just as afraid when he calmed the storm as when they were in the midst of the storm. It would seem that their fear at what Jesus had just done differs both in kind and intensity from that which they had a result of the storm. Jesus has just done what was even more startling than the life-threatening storm itself, as he had power over it. And Jesus gently but firmly rebukes them for their unbelief, for their lack of faith. Remember, Jesus said, let us go to the other side. Do we trust in God's word? Do we have faith? And it's a good thing that these ha things happen, because if we, if we don't have faith, Jesus will expose it so that we can learn to trust in him. Because if you don't have faith, guys, you're going to stumble. You're, it's, again, it's like the whole hamster wheel thing. It, it's going to be monotonous. It's going to be, where the heck am I going? Nothing's happening. And you're going to be frustrated and devastated. And you are going to lose your, your lack of, of trust in God because you're doing it wrong. You're not reading his word and trusting in it. Faith is not based on your parents. It's not based on your church. It's not based on your pastor. It's, it's not. Your faith is your own, and Jesus is the author and the perfecter of it. 
And he has written the word of God for us to understand who he is so that we can trust in him and our faith can grow. And faith is fundamental for all of us who are in Jesus Christ. It's what God wants from us. It's what he delights in. And the lack of it, it displeases him. And faith is just as important as it was then for the disciples as it is for us now. It's by faith that we're saved, right? We're saved by grace through what? Faith, right? That's how we're saved by our sins. We are to live by faith, right? Romans and Galatians tell us this. Whatever is not of faith is what? Sin, right? Romans 14 tells us that. Faith is fundamental. It's what saved Abraham. It's what sustained everyone that we see in Hebrews chapter 11, the the faith chapter. It's faith from which our obedience comes from. We see this in Romans 16. It's by faith at which we stand, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Faith is the shield that protects us from Satan's attacks. And to sum it up, without faith, it's actually impossible to please God. We see that from Hebrews 11, 6. What is faith? Well, it's simply trusting in God. Faith focuses on God. Its object is God. And when I think of Peter, remember when he stepped out of the boat and he wanted to walk on water? Do you guys remember that? Do you guys remember that Peter walked on water? I think we always make fun of Peter. Like, Peter, dude, you started drowning, right? Here's the deal, guys. Out of all the disciples, Peter was the one willing to step out of the boat. It takes a lot. It takes a lot of faith, right? We also forget that Peter, however many steps it was, began to walk on water. Isn't that amazing? Like, yeah, he started to sink, and he, his, his, his eyes were taken off the Lord, and his, 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 you know. But if I were Peter, I'd be like, I'd, if I got back in the boat, I'd be like, guys, did you just see that? I just took three steps on water, or however long it was. And like, that is amazing. I, dude, I'd put that in my bio of everything. I walked on water, right? Like, that's amazing. But how did he do it? Because he had faith, right? Faith in what? In Jesus, because Jesus was the one who was already standing on the water and he was walking towards Jesus. And what, what allowed him to sink? Did he, was he too fat? Did he, like, he wasn't buoyant? Like what? It, it, it was the fact that the wind and the waves to the left and to the right caught his eye, right? And he looked at it and he started to become fearful. And as that fear started to come in, the faith started to diminish. And as he started to look to his left and his right, he wasn't looking ahead to where Jesus was. And the entire time that he was walking on water, he was focusing on Jesus. And that's one thing we have to understand, that faith is the opposite of fear. Where you find fear, faith is absent. And where you find faith, fear is gone. And that's not to say that you're to live this perfect life of faith and you will never have fear. We're constantly to be growing you will, have, you will have fear. But again, and that's what we see in this, in this section. Jesus didn't give up on these guys because they were fearful and they didn't have faith. No, he, he was faithful to them because God is always faithful even when we're not. And so we have to grow in these areas when we're not faithful, when we are fearful, that God will expose it, but yet we grow from it. We move forward. In their fear, the disciples made too much of the problem and too little of God's provisions and who God was. In the same sense of when Peter walked on water, he started to become fearful, even though he was like a few steps away from Jesus. 
Because it was at the point that he started to sink, he said, Lord, save me. And what did Jesus do? He grabbed him. And he picked him up out of the water. Faith is tested by these things that we go through, these storms, these adversities, these trials. And again, the lack of faith exposed this in this crisis. Faith's absence or presence is revealed in these trials. And just because you go through these things, guys, listen, just because you go through these things doesn't mean, and it doesn't show, it, it, it's not the evidence of unbelief. Just because you go through a storm is not the evidence of unbelief. Right? Just, go, just because you go through some hard time doesn't mean you know, you're, it's, you're going through it because you've sinned or because you have unbelief. Right? That's, that's not always the case. That's not the case. But it is to reveal to us our faith. And unbelief is the rejection of a promise or a command of God relevant to a particular situation. And we'll end with this. What do you think the situation here in these four verses would have looked like if the disciples had acted in faith? They still would have gone through the storm, right? It still would have happened. The boat still would have filled with water. Correct? I want to look at another situation in Acts 27. Turn there with me really quick. Another situation where another person was going through a storm, pretty much the same thing, on a boat in the middle of the sea. And I want to see how he responded. Because in this situation, we're going to see this man respond with faith in the midst of a storm. 27, starting in verse 20. Just go over a few chapters or books. It says now, and this is Paul speaking, okay? So Paul, he was being transported. He was a prisoner of Rome, uh, and he was on a ship in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. Starting in verse 20, Paul says, Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. And I can't remember how many people, but I think it was hundreds of people that were on this boat. And I don't know, they, they were in this situation where they just, they all came to the conclusion that there's no way we're making this out, out of this. In verse 21, but after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss and now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. It was like Paul was invincible in a sense because God had appointed that he would stand before Caesar. It was almost like the disciples were invincible because they were on the boat with Jesus, and Jesus said, we're going to the other side, no matter what happened. It's, and as Pastor Kevin says a lot, we, in a sense, are invincible until God's done with us. And that's not to be stupid. It's not to think that, like, you know, exactly. There's faith, and then there's stupidity. There's foolishness, right? The, the, look at it this way. In this section right here, the very beginning, there's no faith. In this section right here, there's faith. And then if you take it a little bit too far, it's called foolishness, right? It's thinking that if I can jump off a building, that God will save me because I trust in him. Well, no, God's like, I gave you a brain. Don't be stupid, right? 
But he says this, do not, the angel says to Paul, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. And Paul says this, this is the key part right here. He says to the guys, therefore take heart, men, for I believe God, that it will be just as it was told me. He believed in what was said. He had faith in it. And that's the same thing with us that we've seen in the common reoccurrence in all of this is that we need to know what the word of God says, trust it, and obey it. If God says something, it will come about. If he promises something, his promises, he, he does not break them. One last thing, read this to you really quick and we'll close. Matthew 7, 24 through 27. It's a wonderful parable. It says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, speaking of the word of God, and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, the floods came, the winds beat, blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. So how do we overcome these storms and these trials in life? Well, Jesus says pretty clearly in verse 24, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, that is the rock on which you will stand. So, so do this before the trials and the storms come. Read the word of God and obey it, he says. And if you don't, this is what he says. Everyone who hears these sayings of mine, which is all of us, and does not do them, which may be some of us, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Know the word of God and obey it. And when these storms come, you'll be on the foundation of the rock. You will withstand it. And it's not to say that these things will be easy, but I would rather go through the midst of the storm. I'd rather go through the midst of a storm with Jesus on my boat than to be completely sunny and beautiful outside without Jesus on the boat. That is more scary than anything. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Jesus, we thank you for your example, the authority and the power that you have over the wind, over nature, over creation, over death, over disease and sicknesses. Lord, even though you have those powers and that ability and that authority, we know that you still allow some of these things to happen. And Lord, I pray in the midst of these things that happen, Lord, that we would be founded upon the rock because we've been prepared that we would be able to trust in you and your word. Lord, that would not be a faith that is, is founded upon our parents' faith, and a faith that is founded upon the church or anything else. But Lord, you say that we're to have faith in your word. I pray that you just be with us as we finish out this day. And Lord, that as we approach the, the Christmas season and Christmas Day, Lord, that we remember how important it is that you were born, that you became man, that you were human. You were hungry, you were tired, you ate, you slept, and yet you lived a perfect life. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.